Welcome to Mythology Breakdown, the podcast where two people who know nothing but the basics attempt to teach others about mythology, folklore, and legends from around the world. I'm Cece, and I'm here with... Tony. Um, enjoy the chaos. <laughs> I'm so excited for this week's episode. Me too. I'm so, so excited. What I'm talking about today is the reason why I wanted to start this podcast. Yes. I'm so excited about this. We're finally going to get into some monsters. Oh, hell yeah. I'm so excited. Um, I just want to let you guys know really quick that we are probably sound a little bit different. Both of us are kind of feeling under the weather. So if you notice a difference, it's probably just because, yeah. We're dying. <laughs> We're not dying. <laughs> okay. Um, real quick before we get into, th- into the thick of things, we just want to do a couple of trigger warnings. Um, we are going to be talking about rape today, at least in my, my stories, rape and... Bestiality and incest and, you know, normal, normal mythology stuff at this point. Yeah. I mean... At least normal Greek mythology stuff. Obviously, we're not going to go into details or anything, but, I mean, sometimes those subjects can be, you know, quite triggering for some people. Yes. Um, also, I do have a tick disorder, so I probably will do some ticks during the duration of this podcast. If you're sensitive to those, I just ask that you please, please be cautious when listening. I don't want to trigger you guys... I know how unfortunate that can be. But, let's get into today. Alright. The sound that I just made was not human. I, I, I don't even want to talk about it. So, are, are you going to start it off, or am I going to start it off? Um, I'm going to start it off today, if you're okay with that. I am totally okay with that. Okay. So, like I said earlier, these were the stories that I was most excited about. And I do have just a couple of fun facts for this first story um, before I get into it. One is that the three brothers mentioned at the beginning of the story, King Minos and his two brothers, Sarpedon and Rhodomanthus. You know, normally I'm really good with Greek names, but those those two are a little tricky. Yeah. Um, but they would become judges of the underworld, the three of them. So they would, when people died, they would decide if they were going to go to the Fields of Punishment or Elysium or the Fields of Vistoffel. You know, all that kind of stuff. Like, they would decide what their punishment was going to be. Which I found quite interesting, especially after reading the story. I wonder how they got there. That's a story for another time, I'm sure. Um, The other fun fact is that historians and archaeologists believe that they may have actually found the location of the labyrinth. Did you know that? I did not know that. Yes. It is supposedly in Knossos, Crete. I'm not sure if that's quite how you pronounce the name of the city, but that's what we're going with. So, yeah, that's super exciting. Um, The Labyrinth has always been something that's fascinated me. My sister used to love... Oh, what was that old movie? It was an old movie. It was really weird. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know either. But it had something to do with the Labyrinth, I'm pretty sure. Pan's Labyrinth? No, I don't... Maybe it wasn't... Maybe it wasn't that. I don't know. The David Bowie movie? Maybe not. I know I think it was the Dark Crystal that she used to like. It was one mm. of those weird movies that, you know, normal eight year olds aren't obsessed with. Understood. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So Tony, have you guessed what I'm gonna talk about today? Is it the Minotaur? Yeah. Alright. <laughs> Um, this is one of my favorite stories of all time. Like I said, one of the reasons why I wanted to do this podcast. It's, like, on a surface level, it's weird. But if you look deeper into it, I mean, this has just so many big names from mythology that we still know today. I mean, 
Daedalus. Is that how you pronounce it? I don't know. I should have looked that up. <laughs> um, and then his nephew Icarus. It has the Minotaur. It has Minos. It has Poseidon. It has all sorts of... It's just like... What? Right. <laughs> There's just so much going on. So I figure we're going to tell the story from before his birth until after he dies. Heard. Yep. So settle in. Hope you have some popcorn. So a long, long time ago, King Minos, who was the son of Zeus and his mother Europa, so he was already a demigod, Yes, was one of three brothers, as I mentioned earlier, that lived under their under Minos's stepfather, Asterion. He was the king. Hmm. Well, Asterion got sick and he died, and now they had to decide which of the three brothers was going to become king. And you'd think that it would be the oldest brother, but Minos had a special claim to the throne. He was the son of Zeus. And he claimed that he had the god's will on their side. Like, the gods were there to protect him. They were going to, you know, basically do whatever he asked. And, you know, everyone was like, oh, I don't know. But he was like, watch, I'll prove it to you. So he sacrificed a bull to Poseidon. And then he said, if you give me another bull, I will repeat the sacrifice to you. So he was basically like, give me a bull, I'll give it back to you. Just let me show these people that, you know, I'm meant to be the boss. And Poseidon was like, okay. He gave them a bull and he became king. Minos became king because he's like, holy crap, Poseidon's on his side. And Poseidon, who is, you know, god of the sea, was one of the most powerful gods of the time. Right. Yeah. Um, so this bull that Poseidon gave him was so majestic and beautiful. It was a beautiful white bull. And Minos was like, well, this is too beautiful to sacrifice. So I'm going to sacrifice another bull. Which obviously pissed Poseidon off. I mean, what the heck, dude? I mean, your, your job was so simple. Your job was take this bull that I'm giving you. You don't even have to go find the bull and then kill it. Right. You think it'd be simple enough, but it wasn't. So Poseidon is now pissed. And now here's where the stories kind of separate just a little bit. There's a couple of different ways that the curse would have happened. It was either Poseidon himself, who was angry and cursed Pasiphae, who is Minos's wife. Um, either that or Aphrodite um, cursed her. And that could have been just on her own because Pasiphae wasn't dedicating enough of her time to her. Because you all know how the gods are about dedicating your time to them. They're all weird. Um, or Poseidon asked Aphrodite to, Aphrodite to curse her. Right. I mean, there's a couple different ways. But either way, Pasiphae falls in love with this white bull. Because why not? Exactly. Dude, the Greeks were so weird. Literally, all the time, they're just like... I'm sorry. They're just like, I want to become this swan. I want to make this swan. I want to make this person fall in love with this swan. And then I'm going to turn into a man. And then I'm going to do this person. And then I'm going to turn back into a swan. And the husbands will never know it was me. Zeus. Zeus. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, Pacifique falls in love with this bull. And instead of just, you know, being like, hey, that's weird. I should not go have sex with a bull. 
She approaches Daedalus. Daedalus. Oh my gosh, this is going to irritate me so bad. Tony, while I'm telling this next part of the story, can you look up how to pronounce his name? Sure. How do you spell it? D-A-E-D-A-L-U-S. Daedalus? That doesn't sound right either. D- I, okay. Okay, look it up. Anyway, so she approaches Daedalus and Icarus, and she was like, please, help me make some way to go have sex with this bull. And so they built this weird wooden cow, this weird wooden cow contraption. And what she gets in it, and apparently it was so well made that the bull was like, yep, I'd have sex with that and had sex with her. Why she couldn't just approach him in her normal human form, or, you know, why she felt the need to have sex with the bull at all, I don't know. But she did, and she got pregnant. Did you find an answer, Tony? Yes. How do you pronounce it? Daedalus. 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 That makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Daedalus. 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 All right. So, Pacifica has now had sex with the bull, and she becomes pregnant with the Minotaur, who she gives the name at birth of Asterion after Minos' stepfather. Which I found interesting. I didn't know that the Minotaur had a real name. Neither did I. Yes. Um, so she actually raised him for a long time. You know, throughout his childhood. She fed him. She clothed him. She raised him. But he was just evil. He was voraciously hungry. He started killing people. And so King Minos is like, oh my god, I don't even want to live with this abomination. Um... What the heck? So, after he had found out that the baby was not his, he imprisoned Daedalus and Icarus, and that's why they build the wings and stuff, because he's in that prison. That was a connection that I made today with the whole flying into the sun thing. Mm -hmm. Fascinating. Um, So, they were imprisoned. They were slaves and stuff. And when when the Minotaur started eating people and killing livestock and just being a general menace to society, Minos was like, hey, you got me into this mess. You're gonna get me out of this. I need you to build me this labyrinth, which is basically like a huge maze. I know you know this, but yes. other people might not. It's basically like this huge maze with... Sh- it's confusing. No one ever would get out of it. You would enter and you would never leave. He was like, you're gonna build me this labyrinth and then we're gonna keep the Minotaur in there. And in some reports, Pacifae also is in there and the Minotaur is protecting her and others, she's not. Um... And now we're getting into another part of the story that I had no idea existed. I just figured that Theseus, you know, came and killed him. And I knew that there were tributes sent to the Minotaur, but I didn't know why. So basically, Minos had one human son named Theseus. No, not Theseus. Uh... What the heck? Did I write down every name except for the kid? Okay, apparently I learned every single name except for Minos' son's name. Way to go. I am so proud of myself. (laughs) But basically, Minos' son competed in the Panathenic Games, which I'm assuming is like an equivalent of the Olympics. Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, But he did really good. And the Athenian leaders were like super jealous and they were like, you know what? Um, We're going to kill this kid. Because he's better than us. And 
So yeah, they either killed him or they sent him on a mission that was going to kill him. Either way, the Athenians were directly the cause of the son's death. And this made Minos mad. Minos lived a tough life, dude. I mean, yeah, he started out as a jerk, but I mean, this is a little bit of overkill in my opinion. Right. So Minos goes to the king of Athens at the time, Aegeus. And he says, you know what? You killed my son. So now every nine years, or in some cases one, but I, in more, in more I read it was nine, you're going to send me seven maidens and seven children. So young men. So seven men and seven women as tribute. And they would have to enter the labyrinth and they would be, you know, consequently devoured because no one could get out of there. So over time, I'm not sure how many, quite how many years had passed by this point. Um, Theseus, who is Aegeus's son, or Aegeus's son, volunteered to go on this mission. And once he got there, Minos's daughters fell in love with him. Like, they fell in love with this dude. Yeah. Um, so they asked Daedalus how to escape the labyrinth. They were like, is there a way that they can get out of this? And so he handed them a ball of string. And Theseus tied one end of a string to the door, and he unwove, he unwove it as he searched the labyrinth. And he found a minotaur, and he killed it. Did I write down why? With his bare hands, is what it says. Um, he rescues the other Athenians, and he takes the two sisters that fell in love with him, and he leaves. You know, basically all is, you know, all is right, minotaur's dead, yada, yada, yada. Um... Except this guy's a jerk to the two, like, to everyone else. He's just dum-dum. So he takes the one daughter, Ariadne, and he drops her on this random island. And he goes, peace. And she ends up marrying Dionysus. Yeah. And there's some reports that are like, well, Dionysus may have forced him to leave her there. You know, because he wanted to become her wife. I don't know. The Greeks were all weird. Um... The other thing is that he forgot to change his sails. So when he left, he was like, okay, when I fly, when I come home, I'm going to fly white sails if I'm alive. And my crew will fly black sails if I'm dead. And he forgot to change them to white. Mm. So when they were in sight and the king saw it was black sails, the king committed suicide. All right. Yep. And that's basically the story of the Minotaur. Grizzly weird basically everything is minos's fault all right so there you go we killed it go greek mythology but that's one of my favorite stories so uh, when we started talking about maybe doing a podcast and i was like we gotta do a cursed or cursed origin story because i mean this is one of the most well-known curses out there but no one knows the full story of it all right all right I'm passing the time on to you. I'm so Thank excited. You. So this next one that I'm going to be talking about technically isn't a cursed origin. It kind of touches on it, but it doesn't say exactly where this being came from. You intentionally misunderstood the assignment, didn't you? No. But anyways, I did mine on Scylla, which is a sea monster in Greek mythology. Oh, sea monsters. Yes. Uh, Scylla, of course, is a sea monster who lives on the rocks of a narrow water channel opposite of the Whirlpool. And orge, or wow, ooh. <laughs> originally also a sea monster, Charybdis. Wow. Charybdis? Mm-hmm. Wait, so there's another sea monster with a 
that it's like the same but a different name? Basically. Okay. So Charybdis and Scylla are essentially the same. Mm-hmm. Okay. Ships caught in between Scylla and Charybdis often end up being sunk by one or the other. Wait, this is the two pillar story. Mm-hmm. I know this story. Yes. Okay, okay, okay. I'm a little bit more excited now. I don't know the details of this story. I just know that it has to do with the two, there's two pillars and, uh-huh. yep, yep. Oh, yeah. Okay, okay, I'm excited now. Okay. <laughs> so, in book 12 of Homer's The Odyssey, Circe, the goddess of magic, Woo! warns Odysseus to sail closer to Scylla than Charybdis and to keep the ship sailing at top speeds. However, distracted by Charybdis, Scylla is able to snatch up and devour six sailors on board Odysseus's ship. Apollonius of Rhodes writes in the Argonautica on one side of the sheer cliff of Scylla... Wow. My notes are fucked. On one side of the sheer cliff of Scylla (laughs) woven sight, on the other, Charybdis seethed and roared incessantly. While beyond, great seas were booming on the wandering rocks. It is said that the rock of Scylla and Calabria, a coastal town near the Strait of Messina, is Scylla's home. Okay, that was a lot of words that I don't know. Can you simplify that as much as possible for me? Yes. So, two writers, Homer and Apollonius, Mm -hmm. both basically stated that Scylla and Charybdis were on either side. And... Apollonius of Rhodes, he was some sort of, like, higher-up person, wrote in his published book thing, I don't know what to call it, the Argonautica, basically said, on one side of the sheer cliff, Scylla hove in sight. So he was, she was seen in sight when you were going past. On the other side, Charybdis he was, like, roaring, and he was, like, the angry one. Uh, while beyond, so past the pillars, the rock, or, sorry, uh, the great seas were booming on the wandering rocks. Okay, so, to the left there was Scylla, to the right there was... Charybdis, yes. Charybdis, and then straight ahead there was strenuous seas that had rocks and waves everywhere. Yes. Okay. I'm following you. Okay. Sorry, that was a little complicated for... You're good. It was a quote, so... Oh, okay. Where'd you get your quote from? Uh, well, the quote was on GreekGodsAndGoddesses.net. So, it was from the Argonautica. Oh, yeah. By the way, I got my Minotaur story from Ancient.eu, backed up by other websites. Yes. Uh, Scylla's parents differ depending on which legend you're reading. Multiple authors, including Homer and Ovid, claim that Scylla's mother is Keto, also known as Criteus, goddess of dangers of the sea. Some stories tell of Keto mating with her brother Phorces, with whom she had Scylla, Echidna, which was a serpent nymph. She's the mother of all monsters. Yes. The Grey, I don't know how to pronounce that, uh, G-R-A-E-A-E, Grey. I think it's just... Grey? I think it's actually Grie. Grie? Okay. But uh, I'm not quite sure. They're the three sisters, Dino, Enyo, and Pemfredo, who shared one eye between all of them. I think I have them down as different names in my writings. Oof. Big oof. Hold on. When we go on break, 
I'll go find my old notes and I will, uh... Well, they may with Percy Jackson, because I know you probably got the names... No, I got my names actually from a mythology encyclopedia type thing that I have. Oh, the one that I bought for mm-hmm. you? Okay, so, so there might be some confusion there. Yeah, but sorry, don't, I, I feel bad for interrupting. I good. just, I, I feel like the names I heard were different. And I think I saw that the spelling of it was different. So maybe we're talking about two completely different things. Possibly. Uh, but basically, uh, yeah, Keto and Forces had those like, kids. The Greeks like three sisters. Yeah. Uh, Ladon, which is a serpent with 100 heads, and Lit. the Gorgons, which is, you know, Medusa, Stheno, and Uriel, which is the first time I've ever said that name out loud, so I'm kind of proud of myself. Uh, Stheno was the mighty, she was the oldest of the three sisters, Uriel was the middle child, uh, the far springer, she was kind of like the peacekeeper, and then Medusa, which was queen of the Gorgons. And... There is some confusion between scholars about Hecate being the mother of Scylla, or Hecate. So, there's... She's the goddess of magic. Yeah, she's... <laughs> no. The, oh, go- goddess, the of- goddess of magic is Circe. Crap, I do that every time. Isn't she like the goddess of witchcraft or something You're like good. that? You're good. You're okay. Oh my god. You're I do okay. that every single time. <laughs> uh, Apollonius and Rhodes claim that Crataeus is another name for Hecate. Or Hecate, mm. he- 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 I don't know. Wow! In the Odyssey, Homer describes Scylla as being a rather frightful sea creature with a crab-like shell, six long necks, triple rows of teeth on each head, and twelve feet dangling from her monstrous body. Wow! Yeah, she d- is f- terrifying. Uh, her voice, as Homer writes, sounds like the yelping of dogs. In fact... Scylla's name is derived from Greek words that describe the animal she looks like. Scalaros is Greek for hermit crab. Scalax roughly translates into dog or dog shark. <laughs> right? Why does the Greeks have a word for dog shark? I don't, I don't even know. And skilo, which means to rend or to tear something into pieces. Me too. <laughs> Over the centuries, Scylla has been the subject of many stories as well as pieces of art. She first shows up in ancient Greek art around 450 BC during the Renaissance, lasting from the 14th through 17th centuries. And slightly after, Scylla is a popular subject, showing up in works by Agostino Caracci, Salvatore Rosa, Peter Peter Paul Rubens, and in paintings done by two of the most popular pre-Raphaelite painters in the 19th century, John William Waterhouse and John Melhuish Strudwick. Interesting. As soon as we have a website, pictures will be going up. Oh, pictures will 100% be going up. We need up. to get our crap together, Tony. We need to get our website going. We our, need to Patreon. Get our Patreon going. Oh, yeah. Uh, now, here's a wow. kind of like a early in the media kind of thing because I know we're not doing that subject like super late late into keep going the wow into this episode uh today contemporary depictions by artists around the world can be found simply by scouring the pages of websites like DeviantArt avid gamers might also recognize Scylla as one of the playable gods from the free to play online video game Smite hmm mhm 
Interesting. Smite is actually, we're not sponsored, but it is a very good game. And they have gods and goddesses from a crap ton of different mythologies. So. Dang, okay. <laughs> I'm so sorry, guys. All right. Well, is that the end of your story? That is the end of my story. All right. Let's take a quick break. Go get some water, pet some cats, take a nap, or not. You don't know how long we take in between recording sessions, huh? Right. You don't know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we'll be right back. We can- <laughs> Welcome back to Mythology Breakdown. We took a little nap, took a jog. We did not. <laughs> no, nah, we just we just used the restroom and got soda. We did not we're go losers. on a jog. Because we're losers. <laughs> uh, so I decided to bring us on back in and talk about Eurynimos. Yeah, I think these next two stories are the most two darkest, most two darkest. Most two darkest. The two darkest stories that we've talked about so far in the entirety of our podcast. Which oh, isn't saying 100%. much, but... Yeah. I mean... Like, there's been some pretty dark stuff, like suicide, incest, and all that kind of stuff. But, but like, in terms of, like, actual spookiness, this oh, next yeah. story, from what Tony was telling me, is... It's pretty dark. It's pretty dark. <laughs> all right, take it away. I'm all gonna right. grab my blankie. You're good. So, found on Black witchcoven.com because no other site had any reputable source except for Wikipedia. I don't like using Wikipedia. Uranimos. He was described by the oracles of Delphi as black blue in color like that of flies. Meat flies in particular. With sharp teeth seated on a skin of a vulture. Gross! Yeah. thing is already wigging me out. Oh, it gets even more disturbing uh some other accounts describe him with deep eyes sharpened teeth and blackish blue skin while european demonologists tell him tell of him as a demon with a body covered in sores ew wow that was a tick but that was a perfectly timed tick nice uh (laughs) he has long sharp teeth and the fur of a fox on his back he also moves about in a crouched manner weird yeah. Uranimos is a demon of Hades who has oh great power God. and status. Some tell of him as a de- death demon, while others speak of him as a ghoul because he enjoys the taste of rotten flesh from Ew. corpses and the deceased. This dude is creepy. <laughs> He's a little creepy. Uh, this demon is often named or seen as a death god and as the prince of death by most European demonologists. He is regarded as Orcus, or Hades in Roman mythology, but he is a flesh-eating demon who eats corpses and strips them down to their bones. Wait, so he's not actually Greek? Uh, technically not. I mean, he is Greek and Roman. Okay. He's seen, because Orcus and Hades are basically the same being, he is seen as both Greek and Roman. You know, the Rome. Romans? Hades' name is Pluto. Pluto, then who the frick is Orcus? Oh, was Orcus just another name for Hades then? I don't know. I've never heard that name oh, used God. for Orcus. Oh, God. Okay. Oh, no. Uh, okay, we might have to make an apology video later if we absolutely are messing this up, but I'm really intrigued in the story, so we're going to include all this in it anyway. Yes. Uh, 
He is an artfully cunning and mischievous demon who feasts on dead pickings wherever he finds them. Some accounts give him off as a servant to Hecate, another Hecate theory, the Greek goddess of the moon, not of magic, that's your seat, <laughs> and he is well known in paganism. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So he makes his, he makes his rounds. Uh, Uranimos is a massive glutton without any form of satisfaction to his cravings. It is also stated that the demon grew a second mouth so that he could eat up larger amounts of dead flesh with great speed. Oh my gosh. The demon rarely or never speaks at all. He is always moving from place to place in search of dead meat and corpses to consume while licking his lips in excitement and anticipation of gnawing down on another rotten flesh. Oh. The name Uranimos can also be dis- ascribed to a Greek female divinity who created the cosmos. She was later dethroned by Rhea, or Rey, and was thrown into either Tartarus or an ocean which is closely linked with the underworld. Uranimos, as the flesh-eating demon, was so feared by the locals that they changed their funerary customs to avoid leaving the bodies of their loved ones as food to the greedy eater. Several churches, as well, decided to cremate corpses for their own protection. What a terrible origin for cremation. Yeah. I wonder if that's what, like, if this is the story that is said to have created cremation. Mm Mm-hmm. It is? You looked it up for sure? I think so. Like I said, I haven't found really anything else anywhere except for this website and Wikipedia. Mm -hmm. So... I'm intrigued. We're definitely going to have to do some more research on this. Yeah. But that was it for my story. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god, that was terrifying. It was scary. When I went on this website, I was like, oh my god. There was no pictures. Oh wow. Like, this, this website was like... Hey, here's a list of thousands of demon names and their origins and their stories. Like, here's a crap ton of demons from every single culture out there. And I'm like, oh my god, this is terrifying. I love it. Why is it my turn? Yeah, it's your turn. That was the end of my story. <laughs> okay, okay. Now for the moment that I've been waiting for. So, this story is one of the most well-known stories in Greek mythology. At least in my opinion, I feel like. I feel like everyone knows the name Medusa. You know the name Medusa. Even before we started researching mythology, right? Oh, yeah. Dude, Medusa is like one of those names that everyone says, Oh, Medusa! And they're like, Yup, the snake-haired chick. Mm-hmm. You at least know that. And her story is often, I feel like, overlooked. And they skip... From her being a Gorgon to her death. And there is just so much juicy stuff in the middle. So what I really wanted to talk about today was how Medusa became Medusa. And how the patriarchy has screwed everything over. And I know this is probably going to get me a lot of comments that are like, dude. But just more and more historians are like, Oh my gosh, the story of Medusa is way more misunderstood than we all thought. And, you know, to even back this up further, you can barely find anything about it on the internet. Like, the only reason I know this story is because of stories that I've already been told. I couldn't find any freaking proof of it, but I need to include it because I need to talk about it. Okay. Okay. 
Are you ready for this? I'm, I've been ready. Okay, so Tony talked a little bit about how Medusa was one of three Gorgon sisters. Yes. However, there are some stories that claim that she became a Gorgon later in life and that she was actually born a mortal. And if she was a Gorgon at birth, she was the only mortal Gorgon. And she was beautiful. She had beautiful golden ringlets that went down her back and she was just so pretty. And she was a patron of the goddess Athena. She lit a life of virginity and she worshipped in this temple all the, day, all the day long. She was living her best life. I mean, she was just, she was just happy. And then freaking Poseidon happened. Dude, why is it that both my stories today, Poseidon was the one that did the things? I don't know. And Maybe then, you just have it out for Poseidon. Apparently I do. <laughs> anyway, Poseidon being a freaking Greek god of the time was like, you see that maiden? I want to have sex with that maiden. And she said no. She was like, I don't want I don't want to have sex with you. I've dedicated myself to Athena. And Poseidon's like, fine. He leaves her alone. And then one day she's in the woods and he approaches her again and is like, please be mine. And she says no. And he decides that he's going to rape her. So she runs into the temple of Athena, throws herself on the shrine and says, Will you please, please protect me? And Poseidon comes in and he rapes her. And this makes Athena furious. Not a Poseidon. Although some are saying that maybe she was just fearful that Poseidon would do the same thing to her. But she cursed Medusa with the looks that we all know and love today. The snake eye, or the snake hair, the stone gaze. Like, she was pissed. She was like, how dare you do these things in my temple? And so Medusa, horrified, she tries to run from the city. And of course, every time someone looks her in the eyes, they turn, turn to stone. So from the villagers' point of view, all they see is this woman, or this woman running through the town, turning people to stone, and they deem her a monster. And she runs to this abandoned temple, and she throws herself into the safety of its depths of destruction. Right. Because it was unused and unmanned and falling apart. And this is where she lived. And, um, eventually she cleaned up the temple and she realized that it was an old temple of Athena. So she went about her duties and Athena was like, oh my gosh, you know, I completely misjudged this woman. And so she sent Perseus to go and kill Medusa to put her out of her misery. Which is how you get the story of Perseus and Medusa. However, the more common story, you know, basically states that similar, but she was turned and then she became evil. She ended up with her sisters. And in most retellings of the story, that's what you're going to get. Right. However, Medusa's story does not just end with Percy coming and killing her. Because why not? She has to be, I don't even know the word, displayed. They're like, haha, I killed her. Now look at me. Blah, blah, blah. So the story of Medusa killing Percy is actually quite interesting. So I'm we're gonna we're gonna go back in time a little bit to before Medusa's dead, and you have Perseus. Do you, do you know the story of Perseus? Yes. How well do you know it? I uh, did. I've read it once or twice. Okay. So Perseus was the son of Zeus, which is the second time that we've had a son of Zeus in conflict with one of Poseidon's creations. Second time mm-hmm. today in two stories. Tell me two stories. Anyway. So Perseus was the son of Zeus, and Perseus's mom's dad, the king at the time, was told by the oracle that 
Oh my gosh, where did it? Danae. Okay, found it. Okay, so Perseus's mom, Danae, her child was going to be the one to kill the king. I didn't actually read far enough into the story to find out if that actually ends up becoming true. I'm sure it does because it's how it always happens. But Perseus is going to be his own story. I just wanted to include this little bit about Medusa. Right. So the king was told that Danae's son was going to overthrow him. And so he threw them into a river and said, Be gone, thought! <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm in a funny mood today. I would love to see a meme of... Zeus just throwing one of his children off of Mount Olympus, yelling, Be gone, thought. Oh, no. <laughs> so anyway, Danae and Perseus were found by Dictus. And together, Dictus and Danae raised Perseus, and Dictus's brother, Polydictus, Dictus? Something like that. He wanted Danae. He wanted her to become his wife so much. But he couldn't get he couldn't get to her because Perseus was in the way. And so he was like, I'm gonna trick Perseus. And so he announced this new wedding or this wedding to this other girl, and he was like, Everyone bring a horse as a gift. Why a horse? I'm not quite sure. But it was a horse. <laughs> Woo! Um, so Perseus, he was like, Well crap, I don't have a horse. And so he's like, well, I don't have a horse, but I'll do anything you want me to as a gift. And so Polydictes is like, all right, go kill Medusa. And so he's given Hades' helm of darkness, which is an invisibility helmet. Right. And then Hermes' winged sandals to help him fly and travel faster. Right. And he embarks on his journey and he kills Medusa in her sleep with a shield. Don't know how, but he did. Um, once she, once he chopped off her head, Pegasus and Chrysor, her two children from Poseidon, were born, and he either rode Pegasus back through the rest of his travels, or he used the winged sandals. Nothing was really agreed upon. Right. Um, and then, I mean, yeah, he has all of his adventures. I don't exactly know the end of that story, because we haven't gotten there yet. But he plays a big part in Medusa's story, and when you talk about Medusa, everyone always talks about Perseus and Medusa more than this first part, and I really, I tried to look for a full recount of the story everywhere that I could. I could not find anything. Huh. It was, yeah, but I knew that story, and so I just, I felt like it needed to be shared as a cursed origin story, because I feel like it definitely is... A cursed origin. I mean, Medusa would not have been the monster that she was today if it wasn't, had been for the curse. Yeah. I mean, and crap, I mean, she became one of the most well-known mythical creatures ever. So, I guess that's how she got her revenge, is by becoming super famous. Men, am I right? (laughs) As the wine and crime gals would say, fucking patriarchy. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) If you guys ever hear this, oh my god, I'd cry. Oh my goodness. <laughs> That's the podcast that got me into podcasting. Of course I'm going to be a little bit excited. Oh, I know, I know. But all is right. that all we were talking about today? How, I think that's all we got today. All I mean, right. we, did, we did pretty good. Yeah. Alrighty. 
So, coming soon. Patreon. Not set up yet. Hopefully by next week's episode we'll have that all ready. Hopefully. Hopefully. That's our goal. Um, You can still email us at mythologybreakdownpod or is it podcast? I believe it's mythologybreakdownpod. Mythologybreakdown... Let me just do some clicky clickies on my computer really quick. I can look... Pod. Mythologybreakdownpod at gmail.com. Um, you can also find us on TikTok at mythology breakdown or mythology underscore breakdown underscore pod. There we post updates and some more information and, you know, hopefully soon some fun behind the scenes things. Um, yeah, we're super excited about that. I think, oh, and we have a Facebook group. Yes. Yes, it's Mythology Breakdown. The podcast. The podcast. And it's a discussion group mm-hmm. um, for things that happen in the podcast and mythology in general. So come give that a... Come check us out and... I share memes. Yeah, Tony shares memes. I post updates. Because <laughs> I'm not good with memes. No. <laughs> anyway, I expected this episode to be just a little bit longer. Looks like we're running a little bit shorter than normal, but that's Okay. We've got so many more. So many more. I think we're talking about more monsters next week, so... Oh, yeah. Join us. All right. Well, on that note, it's been fun. I've been Tony. I've been Cece. Have a good night.